Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Tina Tran Neville. Tina is the co-founder and CEO of Lana Learn. Born in Vietnam, Tina came to the U.S. as a refugee as a young child, a first-generation college student to the University of, of Tulsa and Yale University for graduate school. Tina was the first in her family to attend college before joining the U.S. Foreign Service, where she worked as a U.S. diplomat in Iraq, Pakistan, and Washington, D.C., Tina later became a teacher and education entrepreneur with her first company, Transcend Academy, that supports education services for high school students. With Lana Learn based in Seattle, Tina now combines her love of service, education, and entrepreneurship to advance the future of work by supporting U.S. multinational companies desiring to train their global workforce in English and workplace skills. She is the recipient of many awards, including U.S. Department of State's Superior Honor Award, International Stevie Gold Business Award, and the Puget Sound Business Journal of Seattle's 40 Under 40. Near and dear to her heart is also advocating for the advancement of women and people of color in entrepreneurship through Camelback Ventures, American Chamber of Commerce Vietnam, and Home of Grace Orphanage. Tina has lived and worked in Vietnam, Pakistan, Iraq, Thailand, Mexico, and Honduras. She now lives with her husband and two young boys calling both the Seattle area and Southeast Asia home. Welcome, Tina. Thanks. Well, I uh, appreciate it, Shauna. Are you, I mean, what does that feel like to hear that intro? I know that you're super like low key and humble. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've had different iterations in my life. I mean, you know, growing up um, in Oklahoma, which is where I grew up, and then having lived and served during crazy times in Iraq during wartime, yeah. and then now making a home and life in Seattle. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's been a it's been a journey. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, I'm gonna hit you with some rapid fire. What's the favorite your favorite place that you've ever lived? I'm so jealous. Like you've lived everywhere. Uh, one of my favorite places is Tijuana, Mexico. And the reason I say that is because Tijuana is such a vibrant place, but it borders next to San Diego, which is also a vibrant place, but also a little bit different. So to see the contrast south of the border and then north of the border in Tijuana was culturally fascinating. Oh, I'm sure. Okay. And we need to go out for Vietnamese food, but I'm curious, yes. what, what's your favorite Vietnamese dish? Um, uh, it's which basically means vermicelli noodles and then fish sauce and um, grilled pork as well as spring rolls on top. It's, oh my it's gosh. awesome. That yeah. sounds decadent. <laughs> yeah. A um, little harder question. Who has yeah. been the biggest influence in your life? I would say it's my mom. And the reason why is because um, she, you know, I think finished third grade um, and then she came to America 
24, not knowing English. And so you can imagine what that was like and in Oklahoma and then started several businesses. And then, you know, seeing her succeed, I'm like, wow, she can do that with how she came to the U.S. I have no excuses for myself. Wow. Third grade. That's incredible. Um, I'm curious during this past year and a half that we've been in this crazy time during the pandemic, um, what have you read or listened to or seen that has kind of stuck with you? Uh, yeah, there's been personal for a second. The thing that I've seen that has stuck with me is the advent of online learning for young kids. And I say that because, you know, I'm a mom and I have a son who's six years old and he's done online learning and I'm an advocate for e-learning, but I also see a place for in-person connections that's been challenging as a mom and an educator uh, for kids um, as well. So, you know, I think a lot about, you know, the value of online learning versus in-person learning too, and the merits of both. Yeah. Um, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Or an ambivert, which is a thing. <laughs> I'm an, I, yeah, I was about to say that. I do think I'm an ambivert. I mean, I love, I love people. <laughs> I really do. I love meeting people and talking. But at the same time, just the quiet time to decompress and focus is critical. Yeah. I, I think that I've uh, scored on these things like over the top, like crazy off the charts extrovert. And during the past year and a half, I'm like, wait a second. I'm actually craving this kind of grounding of home more than ever in the past. So I, I'd be, that's yeah. what I was, I'm, I'm asking it a lot more lately because I'm curious if people have adjusted. Yeah, I'm curious. Do you think you've become more an introvert then over the last year? Because I, 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 like I, I think that I have. And now that the world's opening up, I, it's almost like relearning. Um, you know, I've been in small yeah. groups, but the idea of going to um, a big kind of fundraiser or a big business event is almost sounds draining to me. And if you had to spend, um, or sorry, if you had an extra hour in the day, how would you spend it? Ah, sleeping. That's <laughs> mine. That's mine also. <laughs> Yes. I mean, it's so critical. I mean, uh, you know, being a mom, you're always working, sleep and have the energy to focus the next day is really important. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That's well, perfect, perfect transition. So are you late to bed or early to rise? Early to rise. Definitely. Getting up in the morning before the kids wake up, before my husband wakes up with a cup of coffee or tea to just set the day is um, so important for me. That's your, that's your ritual. I've had a lot of people say that and I'm like, gosh, I need to start doing that. I kind of like wake up as everything's, you know, hitting all at once. Um, and I'm trying to get up earlier these days to get in a workout, but that's been the biggest adjustment for me as I used to work out at like 6am. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, eh, because I don't have, <laughs> I don't have the time that it takes to get to the gym. So I'm like, oh, I just, yeah. I can like wake up later anyway. Okay. So we read your intro and, um, you came to the U.S. as a refugee. You were three weeks old, I read, and spent two years in a refugee camp. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any, I mean, you, I'm sure you don't have memories of it, but I'm sure stories have been told to you of that experience. Yeah, uh, so uh, I'm actually helping my family finish um, editing their book, um, 
called Journey to Freedom. And, yeah. you know, I have gotten to learn about it through um, through that book. But yeah, you know, two years in a refugee camp um, and what my parents had experienced and my uncle had experienced through the journey, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a family history. Yeah. And are you, um, do you have siblings? I do. I have five siblings. So I'm the oldest of six. You're the oldest of six and first in your family to go to college. And have the others followed in your footsteps or just taken their own journey? No, they have. I mean, education was really important for my family. And so, you know, as the oldest, you set the example. And so when I went to college, you know, the others followed suit. But I also thought what was interesting is I remember distinctly when I was in graduate school, because the same summer that I graduated um, from graduate school, my dad also graduated with his associate's degree um, oh, good for online. Him that. Good for yeah. him. You know, he was like, what? 50, I guess, at the time or so. And, you know, this was a, a, a pursuit of his. And so to be able to do that at the same time he did, I was like, that's incredible for him after also raising six children too. So. Oh, wow. So powerful. So you um, uh, told me, and then we read about it in your intro that the, that the your parents did not speak English. And so how did they learned to speak English. Yeah, so when my family came to the US, we were sponsored by a church in Oklahoma. And as part of the community, there were English language classes at the church. And so that's how they learned initially. How does that work? Um, I, I should probably know this, but how does it work to figure out where to land as far as Oklahoma? Do they, do, do cities or states sponsor refugees? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, um, organizations or people have to vouch for refugees when they come to the U.S. so that they won't be like a liability on the new country. But, you know, the interesting story was when my parents were in the refugee camp, they had two offers to come to the U.S., because they had two sponsors. And one was um, a group of people in California. Um, and then the other was a church in Oklahoma. And you can imagine as a refugee, you don't even know what's ahead. I mean, it's frightening, right? I mean, mm -hmm. exciting because you're leaving your, um, the political um, situation in your home country, but it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, um, my parents chose Oklahoma because they knew that if we started a new life in California, there were going to be a lot of Vietnamese uh, people there. And, and they knew that if we were to make it in America, we should go to the heart of America to, to learn the culture, to learn the language, to be immersed um, in it all. And so ultimately for the success of our family and their children, they chose the heartland. And so that's how we ended up. I was actually going to ask that. I'm like, was there a strong Vietnamese community? And if so, was that kind of who you, your family was surrounded by, or did you fully integrate into America? Yeah, no, um, there is a small but mighty community of Vietnamese Americans in, um, and Vietnamese immigrants in Oklahoma. And I will say growing up, it was very much part of my life. Like I very much consider myself Vietnamese and also American. Like we went to Vietnamese church during the day and then also American church during the day. Mm -hmm. And we, we sang karaoke with the Vietnamese crew like at nights and on weekends, like literally like- And your parents and, like, fed lots. you and cooked <laughs> oh, Vietnamese yeah. food oh, yeah. at home. Yeah. Yes. Totally. Like it's very much cultural, um, yeah. but also, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma too. And did you ever have any backlash of any sort from being from another country or, and if so, how did you overcome that or how did you handle it? 
Yeah, so there might have been, there were little ones, but it didn't really impact me as a child because I think the wonderful thing about children and young, like young adults is they don't really see that. I, I think, I think that's socially driven in a lot of ways. So, you know, I have great friends from Oklahoma. I still do. I do look very fondly upon my childhood, but in retrospect, there are things like, you know, yes, I brought Vietnamese strange food from home, right? Like I, you know, brought like crab legs. I, I know that's so weird. I'm sorry. Like even here, I am delicious. as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> crab, crab legs are delicious. <laughs> that was like a delicacy and I was so excited to bring it to school and someone was like ooh or like seaweed dessert you know to school for you know lunch and people were like ooh and I remember craving hamburgers and pizza at at lunch in the school cafeteria because that was the only time I had American food so that was a treat um so yeah I remember those kind of things but in terms of like you know racial issues or backlash issues I myself did it but I know my parents did and they spoke with an accent and they were newer to the American culture so I I know it was a little bit more difficult for them than me. Right and how did they end up supporting your family? Six kids not speaking English did they have uh, you know they started with I'm guessing not much. Yeah not not much I mean the story is is my parents came to America with five dollars um to start a new life. And at that time, my dad was a smoker. And so they landed in the port of San Francisco was their entree. And my dad was so nervous. He spent $2 on a pack of cigarettes to like calm himself down. And my mother was upset because he just literally spent what a lot of our family fortune to a $5 on a pack of cigarettes to like, you know, get started. Um, but in terms of how they supported ourselves, you know, my dad was a Vietnamese um, military officer. And so after the war ended, um, it wasn't super great for him. Like he had to actually end up in uh, detention camps for three years or so. Um, and so, um, you know, when he knew that he would have to go back, I was born. And so they're like, no, not for our family. So when he came to the U.S., all he knew was to be a mechanic. So that's how he started. He was a mechanic at smaller shops and then later American Airlines, which he stayed at for 30 years. And then my mother also worked for American Airlines for a while. But when she realized that like most of her paycheck was going towards childcare, which side note is still the case a lot of times because childcare is still expensive in 2021. But um, back then she was like okay we can't we can't do this with two people working on a regular salary so she fell back on entrepreneurship so she started her first business with opening a convenience store at the time and over the years she's you know um upgraded in ways like she did convenience store and then she bought land and then she um, sold land and then they went through like commercial chicken farming because it made money like they're very practical they're entrepreneurs right like how do you increase your wealth so that your family can make it and ultimately that's kind of how I fell into entrepreneurship too because it's something I saw growing up oh yeah especially for it to be modeled from your mom how incredible is that Mm -hmm. she sounds absolutely remarkable um wow okay so University of Tulsa is that just kind of the default like I went to University of Washington as a Seattle person that's like kind of where people go from Oklahoma yeah yeah so either Oklahoma State the University of Oklahoma TU the University of Tulsa is the local yeah school and what did you end up studying and what what kind of fueled you back then what were you hoping to be when you grew up kind of thing 
Um, I studied economics and environmental policy. Um, so just studying how businesses and economies grow sustainably. And I was a social science nerd and I still think I am. Like I really love studying people and societies and how we better it. Um, so yeah, that's what I studied. And then for graduate school, I did international relations yeah. um, in, in large part because um, I got a scholarship uh, through the State Department and, you know, our family didn't have a lot of money. And so this wonderful scholarship called the Pickering is what paid for my graduate school too. Um, wow. And then as part of that, I joined the Foreign Service after. And was Yale, as far as your master's, um, I mean, obviously such an incredible, prestigious program to get into. Was that straight away from college? Yeah, yeah so you went away. straight in. Okay, and so then you went right into government, worked in government for years and years. Um, how was that experience? Like, I, I have no experience or not much exposure. Um, and how cool to live all over the world. Yeah, I loved it, actually. Like, just to understand from a um, top-down perspective, you know, what the, gov the U.S. government is doing and is supposed to do internationally. And, and quite frankly, the influence uh, the U.S. government has internationally is, is something that I learned early and still appreciate now. You know, when I look at domestic issues, um, we definitely have a long ways to go in this country. And I balance that perspective with how far we have come in terms of when I see those same issues happening internationally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm happy that in America, that as a woman, I have opportunities to talk to you, Shauna, to talk about women in business, whereas I feel like maybe in other countries, it's not as um, supported. Yeah. yeah. And how, how are you feeling today? Obviously, it's been a, a crazy, tumultuous time the past many years in our government. Um, how has that impacted you as far as somebody who obviously wants to defend um, your experience in the country that has been so good to you and your family, but also, you know, living in Southeast Asia, I'm curious what kind of sentiment you're hearing around the world um, about the future of the U.S. Yeah, so it has been a tumultuous last four years or so. And then, um, you know, uh, with this new administration, things are changing. But I will say that the one thing that I am optimistic about is that we are engaging more in international affairs, uh, you know, currently. And I think that's always a good thing to be able to reach out to countries and see where there's mutual interest and then work together. Because, you know, just being a very community oriented person, whether you're working on the local level or the international level, communities and relationships matter. So I'm optimistic about that. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. And we need all the optimism <laughs> we, we can get. And what about in the past year, um, you know, since the pandemic, a lot of the Asian yeah. hate and the kind of crazy um, aggression towards Asians. Yeah. I mean, that that's so personal. How has that felt for you? And do you feel comfortable speaking out um, on the issue? <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you for asking that question because honestly, these are conversations we have privately among other, um, among my friends who are Asian Americans. Yeah. No, I, I get it. I mean, I always say that. I'm like, there's so much, you know, anti-Semitism right now. And as a Jewish person, there's all these yeah. articles. I mean, I think I've gotten, yeah. I don't even know, lots in the last mm -hmm. many weeks as there's, you know, um, anti-Semitism heating up at, at crazy uh, rapid paces. But um, 
I'm like, what, why are these articles just going around to us? We need to get them out and speak up and speak to our non-Jewish friends and my Asian friends. I'm asking more because I'm like, I want to hear your personal story and do what I can to support you and to support, um, you know, anti-hate. Yeah. It, thank you. Thank you. Because uh, for asking, because these are conversations um, that I've had privately for a while. And, and now, you know, the social sentiment is to share them publicly and that that's refreshing. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, when I think about it, I'm, you know, I, like growing up in Oklahoma, maybe it's because it's Oklahoma, maybe it's because it's America. Uh, you know, you learn to code switch a lot. That's a term people use, right? Like mm-hmm. how you act at home among your immigrant community is certainly different than how you act around your American community, you know, mm-hmm. not to overgeneralize, right? Well, the, assimil- then, the assimilation, yeah. the like, I want to kind of blend in. Yeah, to, to make it and to survive, right? And so, you know, even, even now, um, now uh, as I'm older, I, I consciously or subconsciously fall back on that code switching. Like, okay, when I'm in this community, this how should I act? You know, so I consciously at least say to myself, okay, okay, Tina, how do you act now? Okay, you're, you're entering this like tech community, which might be different than this education community, which might be different than this government community. How do you act? How do you code switch? And, you know, I, I, I never, it's so weird, but I never realized that some people don't have to consciously think about that. You know, <laughs> like some people are like, oh, just be authentic, be yourself. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, wait, 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 I don't, I don't know how, you know, yeah. because. Well, that's up, also, a, as you get older, it'll get more comfortable. And as people start to engage and lean into the conversation, you'll get exactly. more and more comfortable. Yeah, exactly. So it's a journey for me to, you know, figure out what that authentic self is when for so long, as an Asian American too, culturally, where we're taught to fit in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that you can be authentic. So it's, it's a journey. Thank you for asking. Yeah, of course. And so tell me, so after many years in government, I mean, many people probably do that as their lifelong career. What made you switch into education? And what was that transition like? <laughs> So um, I had been in government um, to finish out my assignment with as part of the fellowship that I explained before. Like as part of that, as part of that, I needed to um, do four and a half years in the foreign service. And so, you know, when that time hit and that my time uh, commitment was was coming up, um, I was also serving in Iraq around that time. And um, that was just a crazy time to be serving overseas. I was in my mid twenties and it was a war zone. Um, And so that was some fun, right? Um, And then I just, I also saw a lot during that time where it was like, okay, a lot in terms of people being killed or hurt. And, you know, I know that a lot of veterans probably have this experience too, but you just kind of think like, what do I want out of my life? I mean, I had a midlife crisis in my twenties, you know, where it's like some people had in their forties. So in your experience in Iraq, like two things, one, like what was your job? Um, And maybe a naive question, but the second one is in that role, you know, did you experience any trauma? Um, so my job at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad was to support the deputy ambassador. Um, and so whatever he did at the time, whether it was meeting with leaders, I would attend, whether it was flying up north to Kurdistan and meeting with like 
allies, I would attend. Um, and then coincidentally, the ambassador who was also in Iraq was also a previous ambassador I worked for, who's a fellow Washingtonian and a, a lifelong mentor, so Ryan Crocker. So I got to work with really wonderful people at the very top. And I think that that was an incredible formative um, experience professionally and personally. Um, and um, it definitely shaped my seeing foreign policy, but as a person, I'm such a people person, I really wanted to see the impact on individual lives. And so I knew that when my time was up in terms of um, fellowship commitment, that I wanted to go into something else where I could impact individual people's lives. So that's the first question. Um, the second one was trauma. Definitely. I mean, everyone at that time experienced it because this in Baghdad at the time was when the American public back home was really um, wondering, why are we there? And meanwhile, violence was increasing. Like I lived in a hooch, which was like a shipping container, Shauna, <laughs> um, next to the helicopter landing pad. So you go to sleep and wake up hearing helicopters all night. There's no overhead cover. So any of these mortar rockets could like hit you because there's no cover and you're consciously aware of that and yeah you know I I actually knew friends there who I went to college with, with in Oklahoma and you know we commiserated over the cafeteria about what we saw for the day because we knew we couldn't share it with our families at home because we didn't want to upset them I mean I was single so I didn't have like a fam like a husband and children to worry about but some of my friends did so just even hearing their stories about you know what they saw um both in the military and in the State Department, you know, it, it, it definitely left a toll. So like I, I say, I had my midlife career, um, people have it later on in life. I had it in my mid twenties and I was like, look, I have a long life to live and I wanna make sure that whatever I do after this really is in line with my values and, and what I wanna be proud of when, you know, when this journey's done. Yeah, and so much to share with your kids. I know that they're little right now. Um, how did you end up meeting your husband? Oh yeah, it's a funny story. So it was like my last week at the State Department. I was on my way out because I feel like I have served my country. Yeah. I have gone to Pakistan yeah. and Baghdad and DC. Um, and I met this really cute guy. And um, you know, we started talking and I was like, well, why not? Why not go out with him? I don't really care. I mean, you know, whatever. I'm about to leave DC. I'm about to move on to my next life. <laughs> but that's how like like I guess relationships happen when you don't yeah. care is when you're more open and then of yeah that's course. how I met him <laughs> wow. and he's he's in the state department so I'm still in in the state department um as a family member as opposed to an actual oh, okay. uh, officer yeah yeah oh he's still in there and so is he from Seattle like what brought you to I guess Transcend Academy was your like betweener but where was that based uh, Transcend was based in DC. So yeah, that is still growing and thriving 11 years later. So I, yeah. that was my in-betweener. But in terms of Seattle, yes, my husband is a proud Seattle Washingtonian. He is five generations Washingtonian. Like they are oh very proud goodness. of their roots. They're like three generations Huskies. I mean, through and through. Hardcore. Yeah. Oh, you're, <laughs> yes. you're drinking from the fire hose, all things, <laughs> yes. all things Seattle. And so um, Transcend Academy worked with kids to help them get into college and is this um, underserved communities and if so like what was your personal job there yeah, uh, so I, I after the state department I want I swung the other way in terms of like working for like 
big grand foreign policy to like individualize. I became a teacher in DC. So I was a teacher in public and private schools. Um, but after a couple of years, I was like, oh, I, I want to actually go into entrepreneurship. That's what I know. That's what I saw my family do. And so I started my first company in 2010. Um, now we work with all of the public DC public high schools um, and the vast majority of the charter schools too. So we work with about 90% of the DC market um, and just helping students with college prep, test prep. Um, so yeah, so that's what, what Transcend Academy does. And it's, and it's still thriving and what are you involved and in? what's your role? Cause I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. curious because you've got also Lana Learn. Like you got a lot going on, girl. <laughs> yeah, as entrepreneurs do. But um, yeah, so with Transcend, I am more of an advisor. And because we have a team and a staff on the ground and our relationships have um, endured over the last 10 years or so. Um, so, you know, I've been able to do that while being in Seattle. So uh, I count that as a blessing 10 years later. Oh, Yeah. And so the launching of Lana Learn, it sounds like your husband's also involved. Is he, um, I read he's the COO? Yeah, he he and I co-founded it together two years in Seattle because he took a hiatus from the State Department to say, you know, what does life look like outside of the State Department? And so together two years ago, we launched it here in Seattle um, and he was the COO at the time. And, you know, we had an amazing launch party at the Riveter in Capitol Hill. Awesome. And then we went I wish overseas I knew you then. and got our... Uh, I'm so glad to know you now, but yes, I, I, I wish I knew you then too, because it was amazing, Shauna. The Seattle community, oh, they rallied, rallied around you. I have come. Yeah. What, <laughs> totally. What was, tell me about the business. Like, what is the business model? Okay, so what the business does is we provide English and workplace skills for international companies and organizations. Um, and primarily, like as all these international organizations are going global, they're increasingly hiring local staff for economic reasons and cultural reasons. But one of the major problems is they don't speak English well enough and um, know, know how to do international business. And so how do you fill that gap so that the company itself can be more productive? So that's what Lana Learn does. Um, that's our mission. Um, so in Vietnam was our first market that we launched internationally. All of our customers were U.S. companies. Um, so they're U.S. international organizations. Um, and they have local teams. And so um, we taught them English in a service-based way um, locally. Um, and then, but did it all online. And so using technology to just basically make it more efficient and scale it and track the data to make sure that students are happy, customers are happy, and they renew. So that is what we've been doing for the last um, two years. I will say that COVID, as life happens, you know, COVID um, made us pivot a little bit, right? We were so early on in our journey, um, and we were in Vietnam at the time, and entrepreneurs, um, need healthcare too, especially if they have their family. And so it was about that time that my husband and I had an adulting conversation. And we're like, look, we have two kids. Uh, we're in the middle of a global health pandemic. We're here in Vietnam. What happens if something happens to one of us or the children? Like what's gonna happen? So in our adulting conversation and Coincidentally, about the same time, he got a job um, inquiry if he could uh, 
consult at the State Department. And so at that time, he went back to the State Department to work on those issues. And then meanwhile, I'm still continuing with Lana Learn, but it's still very much a family and partnership affair. Mm -hmm. And the business model, like how does the business make money? Through the companies, the companies pay you for the services? Yeah. Okay. That's right. And so That's um, right. Who, who's doing the biz dev into the companies? Is that you? Yeah, I love it. I mean, I love biz dev. That's my jam. I'm sure you're so selling. good. I'm sure you're so good at it. Yeah. I can tell you'd be good at it because um, you've just got a very disarming and warm personality and so genuine that um, oh, I would imagine that. And you've got the... Um, you know, the background to like back it up, like you're the real deal. And so did you, um, how did you get funded? Like, where did you get the money to start the business? So it's self-funded because uh, we had Transcend Academy. Um, and so that is profitable. And so from the proceeds of that, I could fund uh, company, this company. And so mm -hmm. we self-funded it. Um, but we also have revenue that is bringing in funding too um, at after two years in. And so at this point, we're still figuring out the product market fit because, you know, we provide English training and um, workplace training, and we have amazing partners on the ground to, to help do that. But, you know, at this phase, we've, we're figuring out the technology product that allows it to scale and, you know, provides the proprietary English curriculum and personalizing it to people. Like, so for instance, one of our uh, customers is Axon and they have, um, an office that their engineering team is in Seattle, their local team is in Vietnam, you know, the problem for them is the English needs to be tailored for the engineers. So how can technology and AI personalize and adjust the curriculum so it's perfectly tailored to our customers? And that's something that we're working on every day with tech. And so that's where we are in our stage of development. Got it. And where's the name Lana Learn from? Yeah, so I said that my husband and I started the company together. We have two little boys, but we don't have a girl. And so uh, one of the things that we said that if we ever had a girl, we would name her Lana. And Lana stands for um, the Lana Kingdom of Northern Thailand. So Northern Thailand used to be the Kingdom of Lana. We've always loved that name. So, you know, Lana Learn was our-, our Yeah, now, you get, now you get to live with the name day in and day out. And so who's, <laughs> what, what, who's, who's um, the makeup of the team and how do you find the teachers? Yeah, so the teachers has been quite easy because uh, my first company was uh, yeah. largely service-based. And so in terms of teachers, it's either networks, especially early on, we want to make sure the teachers are strong. But increasingly, we've um, started working with people who already have a brand for themselves to help mm -hmm. build our brand. Mm -hmm. So one of our amazing partners, and I will share this because I'm so happy for them and for us, is... Um, Lynn Tai, she uh, is an investor, an entrepreneur, but she is also known as the one of the former Shark Tank Vietnam judges. She's mm. the number one business influencer in the country um, in terms of her social media reach. Um, and she and Lana partnered on a business skills training program that kicked off yesterday. So, oh, wow. so she is leading the training. Um, in this first batch, there's only 25 um, students, but obviously that's the pilot program that will last three months. And then after that, we're going to increase it. I mean, only 6% of people got into that first batch program. It was application-based. So I'm very excited what batch two and batch three looks like. So much interest. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we need to hurry up this technology to capitalize on our increasing partnerships. So that's what keeps me up at night is like, mm-hmm. how do we hurry up the tech product to, to match our or keep pace with our partnerships? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. And when you think about the growth of the business, is that um, to more, um, or I guess, is it more languages or like what's the game plan? Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about it. And I will I'll thank my Seattle entrepreneur investor community for, for um, giving me this, um, a way to visualize it. So, you know, Peloton, Shauna, I'm sure you know Peloton. Um, that, that is the model that we're looking at. You know, how do we do on-demand services, but then also have our proprietary bike, i.e. English, and then, um, you know, expand from there. Got it. And what's the differentiator for your business? Like, who are the competitors and how do you um, beat them? Yeah, so I think that the competitors in this space tend to squarely fall into tech. So, you know, the dual lingos of the world. Um, I would even say maybe um, the Elsa um, of the world, which is a company I really respect a lot that's doing great work internationally, but they're they're largely tech plays. Mm. Um, whereas, um, and then there's, on the flip side, there's thousands of these English language centers out there in the world, um, you know, just providing English language training. And I think we want to come in somewhere in the middle, right? Like where, just like Peloton, where you can pro- provide an incredible and fun and engaging learning experience for individual users with the data that's valuable uh, for companies too, but then also marry that with a really strong technical component so that you can, you know, have the data, gather the data, like own the data. Cause that's, I think at the end of the day, this is going to strongly be a data play and that's our comparative advantage. Interesting. And so obviously ed tech is like on fire. Where do you think broadly the future of education is headed? Oh, for sure. Online and COVID really amplified that even more and accelerated it. And so now it's a matter of playing catch up, right? Like whose technology is good? How are you delivering the service to people that they actually want? Not just building the next tech thing, but building something that's valuable. Because I feel like sometimes I might get in that trap, especially right. when, I, you know, when I'm surrounded by really smart engineers, like mm-hmm. let's build the best tech product. And I'm like, well, let's make sure that we actually meet customer demand. And then, you know, we're going to do that with tech. So yeah, exciting and for me. What are, it's super exciting. And is one of the challenges just kind of the engagement? I'm only asking this as a mother where I've got yes. my kids kind of like, <laughs> Eating food, videos yes. off, they're kind of passively learning. Um, so how do you get the students to engage? Yeah, so you know what's awesome is um, I get really excited about business and entrepreneurship, but one of the things is you're building for the future too, right? Like the now, but also the future. So let's talk, let's talk about our children for a little bit. My son is more tech savvy than me. And like, I've been working in tech and he's six years old, but his ability to grasp and engage yeah. is much better, right? Oh, I'm sure. And, and, and like the child over the last year, proud mom moment, but he's taught himself to play the piano on an app, Shauna, right? Just yeah. no people engagement whatsoever. But but he has now gotten to the point where he's like, well, can I have a real teacher? And so we're, you know, we're looking at that, but um you know, I, so when I think about technology, I'm like, okay, the future of technology are people who are going to be more tech savvy, right? Okay, yeah. great. Well, how do we make sure that they enjoy what, like learning, learning 
traditionally has been kind of boring. I'm like a nerd and I even say that, like, you know, it's been kind of, you know, stodgy, like surely there's a way to make it engaging and gamifying it online. And like, I love Peloton, right? Like before, like working out, it would sometimes be hard to drag me to the gym, but now I like love following my favorite instructors. And then that same way, if we can create that engaging community environment online, um, you know, that's, that's where you win. Yeah. So I know that we, you said you set yourself up in the morning with a little cup of coffee. Um, I'm assuming for your mental health, the Peloton's really helpful. Um, what are some of your other hacks that we can learn from as far as time management and like apps that help you? I, I always like learning. <laughs> Uh, for me, uh, it's not a like tech hack or app hack. It's more like uh, we have family cuddle times in the morning where the kids will come in bed and like we all cuddle each other and give each other hugs. But for me, when I have that in the morning, my day is set, right? Like yeah. my family's there. Um, now, now mama can work. And um, yeah, so that's one of my hacks. And are the kids giving you space to work or are you... Um, having and, and also one of the things I just sent my team an email yesterday because um, work and personal and you know boundaries are um, kind of being compromised right now and they're getting yeah. texts and emails at night uh, combined with kids like how are you creating boundaries and um, balancing it all yeah. So two things. Um, I think the first is recognizing that the field of work I'm into right now deals a lot with people and family and education, right? So I bring that I, I, I bring that to the table when I'm having conversations with HR managers who a lot of them are women and a lot of them may have children at home. Like, I'm just like, sister, I am so sorry. I've got kids, but as a result, I certainly understand the way you think as a mom. I understand the way you think as a leader, trying to lead um, your team and then trying to be efficient and then needing the data so that you can go home to your children. And oh my gosh, having that real conversations opens up professionally to- Oh my gosh. A I world, couldn't agree right? more. Oh yeah. Right? That combined with just seeing people's worlds, like, you know, the dog and, you know, the husband <laughs> walking through in the background and just learning- how people live there, what they have is art on the, on the wall or, or guitars. Like you just are kind of going in deep and real immediately, which I think just creates way stickier business relationships. Absolutely. So for me, just that actually, like actually bringing the personal life helps the professional life. Um, and I think the second thing is honestly having you know, good help, right? Like, so we have a nanny in our family who's been a part of our family for years now. And she's the third adult in the house. I don't live near my parents, so I, I can't really lean on them um, all the time because we're always traveling. You're splitting your yeah. time between Southeast Asia and Seattle. Yeah. What's the cadence there of your kind of back and forth? Yeah, so uh, right now we're in Bangkok. So that's where I'm calling in from. Um, so we're here right now, but um, you know, I try to travel back in non-COVID times. I try to travel back every quarter. Um, it'll probably look like, um, you know, every two quarters given COVID um, just because it's a haul and then you have to do COVID tests and then you have to quarantine um, when you come back into Southeast Asia right now. So, you know, um, we're, ju we're just riding this COVID wave. I want it yeah. to end. Shauna, I want it to end. <laughs> Yeah. How are, how are the numbers in Thailand? Like how's, how's Thailand handled COVID? 
Yeah, so Thailand actually was more freer than the U.S. this last year and a half, right? So they did not shut down like we did in the U.S. or try to shut down because they just didn't have um, the numbers domestically. But recently, the numbers have been increasing, and as a result, things are, um, you know, closing. So in the U.S., my son was in school in person, finally, finally. And then when we came to Bangkok, he uh, had to move online again. And I was like, oh, oh no. That's a but yeah so, yeah. yeah, so the numbers are increasing here. But there's, but at the same time, the U.S., I think, has a lot more vaccines and excess vaccines that Thailand doesn't have. So they're being, yeah. Yeah. Most people have been vaccinated, I, I would imagine. Okay, so here's my final question for you. It's what fuels you? Oh, my family and my work. So my family, because they they ground me and, you know, we uh, they, they give me a sense of purpose. Um, and then my work too, because again, you know, I feel like I've been blessed so much to come to America and have these opportunities. You know, how do I give it back? And Lana Learn, yes, is a company, but it's very much a mission-oriented company. And the work that we do definitely provide people opportunities to better themselves. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I wish you continued success. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.